Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does Jesus' mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus' mission look like here? What does Jesus' mission look like here? What is Jesus' mission here? How do I know what Jesus' mission is? today. My name is Josh and uh, one of the pastors here. Welcome to all of you joining us online as well. Really glad you can be with us and uh, excited for you today as well. Um, Hey, we're in our second week in the book of Acts. And uh, last week, as we were going through, we read uh, about Jesus' ascension and about before that, he told his disciples to wait for something. Do you remember? And it wasn't just something, it was someone to wait for the Holy Spirit. Well, um, earlier we read uh, Jesus talking about this to his disciples as well in John. Uh, But before we read it, I just have a question for you. And this might seem out of left field, but I think it'll make sense in a moment. Uh, But do you ever just feel down? Do you ever have days where you're discouraged? Uh, Maybe not just days, maybe it's a full season of it, a week of it maybe decades of it, maybe not even just discouragement, but full-on depression that you struggle with. You know, um, depending on your personality, you might even struggle with those things quite a bit. But I don't think there's anybody in our room who hasn't, in this room who hasn't struggled with it to some degree. Um, I'll confess, you know, for me, my personality, it's something I tend to struggle with. I can uh, be a little melancholy and be prone to being down and discouraged. I can... Uh, I don't know, I just get in a funk. How about you? Um, for better or worse though, I've, I've come to learn to kind of fight through it and, and keep going. And I think being a pastor for almost 20 years, probably God's used that in some ways to give me some perseverance through those things. And it's also been a blessing though too, because it's helped me be able to empathize with people in ways that um, maybe I couldn't otherwise if I hadn't experienced some of those things myself. Uh, other times, you know, uh, I struggle, I guess I should say, sometimes it's, it's just for no reason. It just kind of comes on. Do you have that? And it's just like there's a wet blanket over everything. Other times there is a cause. Maybe it's uh, my own sin and I realize I need to repent and uh, turn back to Jesus or maybe it's someone else's sin and, and that's been kind of a, a heavy thing on my heart. Sometimes it's, a, it's just life, the stress of life. Uh, maybe it's um, fear, hard seasons, Sometimes it's somebody maybe, uh, maybe leaving or moving away. In any case, if, there's a lot of reasons, but if you ever struggle with discouragement or depression or just being down, you need to know you're not alone. In fact, did you know Jesus struggled in some big ways that way? He did. On the night when uh, he was betrayed, before he went to the cross, he was in the garden and he was so sorrowful 
The Bible tells us he was literally sweating drops of blood. And uh, he was so overcome with anxiety and grief. And not only Jesus, but even his disciples knew this. They knew what it was like to be down. In fact, the passage I mentioned to you earlier where Jesus talks about his leaving and the coming of the spirit in John uh, chapter 16. Uh, check this out. Jesus says, but now I'm going to him, the, him, him who sent me. I'm going back to the father. I'm, what's he saying? I'm leaving. You ever had somebody tell you, somebody you love that they're leaving? Maybe they're moving out of state. They're moving away. It causes some sorrow in your heart, doesn't it? In fact, Jesus said this. Uh, he said, you know, none of you asks me where you're going, but then he says this, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. That was the case for the disciples. They were sorrowful. Think about it. They'd spent three to four years of their life uh, doing ministry alongside of him. Where was he going? Why was he leaving? Did they do something to make him leave? How would they go on from this point? They had to be thinking, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Sorrow and discouragement. But then Jesus says something really profound. In verse seven, he tells them this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Now, uh, how many of you, you'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, I mean, what would I rather have? Jesus hanging out with me and helping me every day or him to just leave me and go away? <laughs> You're like, that doesn't make any sense. How, do, how does that work? Well, he tells us, he said, because if I don't go away, then the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you which kind of begs the question, okay, so Jesus is gonna leave, but evidently he's sending somebody else in his place. Some guy that he calls the helper. It's like his nickname. Jesus is like, this guy, he's, he's, he's really helpful. He's the helper. Well, who is this? Who is Jesus talking about that he's sending? And he says it's for their own good. He says it's for our own good. Well, uh, the person Jesus is talking about here is the Holy Spirit who we see the apostles waiting for in the first chapter of Acts and who in the second chapter comes on them with power. So what we're gonna do today before we dive into Acts because some people even call Acts rather than the Acts of the apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so what we're gonna do this morning is we're just gonna take some time. Uh, it's gonna be like a short theology class today. You okay with that? And we're gonna talk about who the Holy Spirit is. And then as we go forward, this hopefully by God's grace will serve us well as we see the Holy Spirit and his work in action throughout the New Testament book of Acts. So with that, let me pray. And then we're gonna dive in talking about the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for Jesus. And uh, Jesus, thank you for not leaving us alone, but sending your Spirit. And uh, today, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd, uh, you'd be our helper. You'd help us know more of who you are, know more of uh, your work in our lives and your help in our lives, know more of who Jesus is, and uh, that we would leave then uh, depending on you, uh, more encouraged to depend on you and trust you to help us throughout every day of our lives and through the week ahead. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray too you'd help me today, just as I, I teach about who you are and teach your word. 
would you fill me and, and use me and uh, explain to us uh, who you are so that we would, uh, we would know your love and your grace and your help towards us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, but Jesus is going away, uh, but he didn't leave them alone. Jesus didn't leave the disciples alone. And, and by correlation, he doesn't leave us alone. You know, there, were, there was sorrow there when they thought about him leaving. And then as we read in the first part of Acts chapter one in verses eight through 11 there, we watched as, as, as we, we read Jesus ascended and he left the earth to be with the father. And the angel said, hey, the way you saw him go, he's gonna come back. So get about doing what he sent you to do. But the good news is he didn't leave us just by ourselves. Um, what I'd kind of like to do is just maybe read a couple passages with you of Jesus talking about this helper that he's gonna send. And then we'll, we'll come back and unpack a little more of, of who he is just theologically. You okay with that? If you got your Bible, look at, at John chapter 16. So if, if you are already in the book of Acts, you can just flip back a couple pages and you'll find uh, John chapter 16. And I'm gonna start reading here in verse five. It won't be on the screen, but you can either read along in your own copy of God's word or, or just listen. Jesus says this. He says, I, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you talking about some things he was telling them. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrows filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, that it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, then the, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will speak uh, not on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus said. For he will take what's mine and he'll declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus uh, tells them that the, the spirit is coming and it's to their advantage and he's gonna help them and help us know Jesus better. We'll flip back a couple pages also to uh, chapter 14. And in chapter 14 and verse 16, uh, we read this. Jesus said this, he said, I'm gonna ask the father and he will give you another helper besides him. I mean, Jesus is our helper. He's, he's, he's a friend to us, Right? But Jesus says, I'm gonna give you another helper to be with you forever. I'm leaving, but I'm gonna send the helper to be with you forever, even when I'm gone. Even the spirit of truth, he says, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells in you and he will be with you. And then in verse 18, Jesus says, I'm, I will not leave you as orphans. 
I'm not gonna leave you alone, is what he's saying. I'm not gonna leave you as, as orphans without somebody to help you, or I'm not gonna leave you like, uh, like a parent might leave their middle school kid home alone for the evening and say, hey, uh, turn off the lights, lock the doors, uh, don't invite too many people over, and you know, that sort of stuff. No, Jesus says, I'm sending a helper to be with you and in you forever. Not to babysit you, but to be your friend and to be your helper. I won't leave you as an orphan. Uh, additionally, uh, we read this, that Jesus says, it's, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because then I'll send the helper. The helper, that's what he said here in verse seven of chapter 16. I tell you the truth, if I go away, if I don't go away, I won't, the, the helper won't come to you. I love that Jesus calls him the helper. And later this morning, we're gonna talk about the ways the Holy Spirit helps us. <clears throat> and maybe that's a good way for us to be reminded of who he is. Uh, a year or so ago, we were in a series where we talked about Jesus and his heart and how uh, he and the Spirit are an advocate for us before the Father. He's a, he's a paraclete. Well, that's the same word here for, for helper. He, he helps us. Uh, and when Jesus is nearing the time of his ascension, when he leaves the earth, he just, he tells us, when, when I leave, I'm gonna send another helper to be with you. And it'll be to your advantage and he'll be with you forever. Uh, so Jesus didn't leave us alone. And uh, actually, before, before we talk about that though, I wonder if, how, many, how often you've really thought about Jesus as, or the spirit as your helper. Uh, Wanda mentioned uh, a texting service you can use. If you text helper to this number and you can just even save it in your phone, we'll use it for other things like this. But I think it'll start the day after you text it. So if you do it today, if you do it tomorrow, but the next day at 8 a.m., you'll get a series for seven days of just devotional thoughts of ways the Holy Spirit helps us. And it'll help you grow in your understanding of how he helps. And I'd encourage you to do that. It'll help you in your, in your understanding of the book of Acts too, as we study it together. And it'll help you recognize the way that he helps you in your day-to-day -day life. So uh, consider checking that out. But the, uh, Jesus doesn't leave us alone. He sends the helper. He sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So as I mentioned, we're gonna spend the rest of our time uh, really talking a lot about who the Holy Spirit is. And I thought, you know, maybe a good place to start even is our statement of faith. Here's what we say about the Holy Spirit. We believe uh, that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. We, we just read that in John 6, didn't we? Uh, he regenerates sinners and in him they're baptized into union with Christ and they're adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. So let's talk more then about who the Holy Spirit is. This is what we believe about him. Let's unpack it a little bit. Uh, well, first off, you need to know the Holy Spirit is 100% God in every way. Sometimes we're tempted to think about the Spirit as a force, as an it, you know, like Star Wars. Oh, may the force be with you. And he helps us do just cool, crazy things, right? And to, to be sure, the Holy Spirit does help us do incredible things that he does in and through us. 
but he's not a force that we just wield, you know, that we can just grab onto and use it to our own advantage because he's not an it. And he's fully and 100% God. He's the third person of the Trinity. You know, uh, the New Testament uh, over and over talks about the fact and reveals the fact that the Holy Spirit's a person, that he's a person of the Trinity and that he's fully God. Uh, For instance, um, uh, in, in the end of Matthew, Jesus tells us, he says, go make disciples, of all the nations, baptizing them. And, and notice how he tells us to baptize. That's an identification with, with Christ and his work, right? You'll see that next Sunday come, some people getting baptized. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, okay, that makes sense. In the name of the Son, that's Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, what's happening here is the Holy Spirit is being equated with God. He's, he's the third person of the Trinity. Notice they're baptized in the name of someone. Now, that might not totally register, but what if Jesus said it like this? Maybe this will help you understand it a little more. What if Jesus said, uh, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Archangel Michael? You'd be like, oh, I've heard of Michael. I think I have. Um, That's a guy, right? That's a person. Or maybe if he said, or of the Queen. You'd be like, oh, I know the Queen. I've seen her on TV this week. Well, it's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person and he is equated with God, with God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit is fully 100% God. Notice what Peter says. We'll get to this passage later this fall in Acts. Peter asks Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To lie to a person. He, He points out, hey, you haven't lied to man. You've lied to God. When you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. Again, uh, Paul, let's go from Peter to Paul. Paul says this to the church in uh, Corinth. He says, don't you know that you're God's temple? What's, what is God's temple? What happens there? Well, it's where God's presence dwells. It's, it's where his presence is manifest, right? And, and, and made visible and understood. And that's where God's presence is. That's where he dwells. But then Paul goes on, he says that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. Well, God dwells in his temple. If God's spirit dwells in you and I as his temple, then the spirit is God, do you see? Or uh, in the Old Testament, this isn't something new with the New Testament. Uh, David says this, he asks in Psalm 139, uh, he says, God, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. He's like, if I go to the depths, you're there. Everywhere I go, there you are. He's equating to the spirit, omnipresence, an attribute of who God is, that he is, he can be everywhere at the same time. Well, additionally, uh, in the New Testament, we read of the spirit uh, not only having the omnipresence, that attribute of God, but his omniscience. Uh, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth as well. These things God's revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. If you'd talk to my wife, you'd be like, sometimes I don't know what Josh is thinking. I can't get in his head. And 
if she asks me, sometimes I'm not sure what I'm thinking. Can't get in my head. But the only person who understands, like you can't read somebody else's mind. That's what Paul's using this analogy. He's saying uh, only the person, only that person knows what they're really thinking. So also no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except you'd think he would just say God, right? But what's he say? The spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit is God. So uh, understand that first of all about the spirit, that he is 100% God in every way. Not a force, not an it, which also then tells us that he's a who, not a what. I know it's, Monday, it's Sunday morning, it's the weekend, I'm throwing theology at you and now, and doctrine, and now you're like, Josh, now you're throwing grammar on top of it? Yeah, I am. He's a who, not a what. He, he's, a, he's a person, a personal being, not a force, not an it. In fact, uh, every pronoun used in, the reference, in reference to the spirit in the New Testament, do you know what pronoun it is? Sorry, here's your grammar. It's he, it's not it. The spirit isn't referred to as it. Yet the word for spirit, which is pneuma, or even the word for helper, paraclete, which we talked about earlier, those words are, they don't have a gender associated with them. Yet when it's referred to, you would think when you read a passage like, like this, like John 15, when, when the paraclete, when the helper comes, it will send you from the Father, the, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, the spirit, it will bear witness about me, right? But it doesn't use the, the pronoun that actually correlates with that Greek word pneuma, which would be it. It uses a personal pronoun, he, He's a person. He's not a force or an it. Uh, grammatically, there's no other way to understand the pronouns of the New Testament related to the Holy Spirit other than that the New Testament's clear the Holy Spirit is a person. Not only this, but he has personal attributes. He thinks, right? We read this just a bit ago. He knows the thoughts of God. He can be grieved. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't, don't grieve him. Don't push him away. Don't ignore him. Don't sin against him. And notice it's by whom. Again, another, I'm, I'm all about pronouns today. My English teacher would be proud. Whom? He's a person. He can be lied to. He can be ignored. So the spirit is 100% God in every way and he's a who, not a what. Additionally, he always glorifies Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes this morning on your handout, you might just circle that word always and then underline it and then circle it again because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He always glorifies Jesus. Jesus told us this. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he won't speak on his own authority but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. Now, a couple things here. When Jesus says these things, who's he saying them to directly? The apostles, right? And so he says, uh, the apostles, uh, friends, the spirit, he says to them, he's gonna guide you into all truth. Well, in other words, when we see the, the apostles working and preaching, especially Peter and Paul in the, New Test, in, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers them to do that. 
And also it's the Holy Spirit then that uh, inspired them and empowered them and bore them along as those things were written down. So one of the things here then in glorifying Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit, he inspired the word of God. He, he wrote down things for us to know about who God is and who Jesus is. And so he's never gonna tell us or lead us to do something that's contrary to his word. You know, he's just not. That's your first test. Like, is is the spirit leading me to do this? Well, what does God's word say? Does God's word say specifically don't do that? Then it's not the Holy Spirit. If the Bible doesn't address necessarily what that is other than just some principles about it, then okay, keep pursuing it. Maybe the Holy Spirit's leading you there. But if it's clearly written out, he's not, gonna, he's not gonna tell you to do something opposite of what he already wrote down. Do you see? Additionally, Jesus says that he will glorify me. So in everything, he, he's gonna glorify Jesus Christ because he's gonna take what's mine and he's gonna declare it to you. You know, I mentioned earlier, the Holy Spirit does some fantastical and incredible things because he's God. He's all powerful, omniscient, all know, I mean, amazing. And he does amazing things in and through us in his church. But sometimes we step back and, and we watch and we, we hear maybe people claiming the Holy Spirit doing this. And we're like, that's kind of weird. I don't know about that. And so we kind of back away, at least kind of our tradition on, in our camp and in Jesus' whole church, right? We tend to be maybe a little leery sometimes of the Spirit. I don't know. But here's another way to test, is it the spirit or not? Well, does it glorify Jesus? If it brings glory to Jesus, then it very well could be the spirit working. But if it doesn't glorify Jesus, it's clearly not. It's either uh, someone just uh, doing something on their own or worse yet, it is a spirit, but not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in everything he does always glorifies Jesus Christ. In fact, he can't not do it. That's what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He goes, I want you to understand, no one speaking in the spirit of God can ever say or ever says that Jesus is accursed. If it's truly the spirit working in them, they can't do anything contrary to who Jesus is that doesn't glorify him and honor him because the spirit always glorifies Jesus. Jesus said he would. And in fact, nobody can even say Jesus is Lord except in the power of the Holy Spirit working in them to know who Jesus is. So uh, there's a test to know, is this the Holy Spirit? Well, there's two of them for you, right? Did he write something different in his word? Okay, if he did, then that's not the spirit leading me. That's the pizza I had last night. And if it, if it doesn't glorify Jesus, then it's also clearly not the Holy Spirit leading me to do this or to say this. Here's another thing the spirit does. And now we're getting into some ways that he, he also helps us. This might seem like a strange one. He helps us by convicting us of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Uh, that's what Jesus said. He said, notice when he comes, he will convict the world. Jesus will do that work. Or excuse me, the Holy Spirit will do that work of convicting us. And let me tell you, that's really good news. I don't like feeling convicted, do you? No, I hate it. 
but I'm also gracious and, and or grateful for it because apart from the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sin, I would never turn to Jesus on my own. I just keep loving my sin. So it's a really good thing that he does this. And uh, we read earlier, uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to John 16 and uh, look at verse eight and then verse nine that follows it. Jesus says this, um, concerning sin, he unpacks each of these in the next three verses. Concerning sin because they don't believe in me. Right, he convicts us of our sin because if he didn't convict us, we wouldn't believe in him. Do you see? And then concerning righteousness, he says in verse 10, why? Because I go to, I'm going to the Father. You're not gonna see me anymore. You're not gonna see me in, in, in an example of righteousness, of perfect righteousness living in front of you. So the Spirit's gonna come and, and convict you of what's right and honoring to God and of how to live. And then finally, uh, verse 11, concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world, notice Jesus doesn't say will be judged, is judged. He is judged. So there's some hope there too then that the spirit gives us. Knowing that Jesus, not only is he going to win, he's already won, which is good news. Uh, so he convicts the world of sin. And because uh, otherwise we wouldn't believe. That's what Paul tells the church in Corinth. He says that the natural person, the person who just lives in their flesh, who is not made new by the spirit, they, they don't accept the things of the spirit of God. In fact, they're folly to him. He's not able to understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. See, uh, here's the deal. I could stand here and I could preach God's word and there's power in that. And I could have all kinds of uh, really clever illustrations and I could make you laugh and I could uh, speak with all kinds of eloquence. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't grab your heart, nothing's gonna change. He's the one who does the work. I just get to be a participant in it. Same for all of us. He does it. We just get to do it alongside him. And so Jesus, or the Holy Spirit does the work of convicting us and changing us. And then uh, let's talk a little more personally about some of these things. Because he also helps us and empowers us for his mission. The Holy Spirit, he helps us. That's why Jesus sent him to be, remember he called him the helper. That was his nickname. Do you have any nicknames people call you? That's how I, that's how I think of this, right? Like the, Jesus just, he calls him the helper, the fixer. You know, so he's the helper because he helps and he empowers us for Jesus' mission. By the way, the fact that Jesus gives him a name like this reminds us of uh, their love for one another in the Trinity, but also the fact, again, that the Holy Spirit's a person. And so uh, practically then, how does he help us? Because Jesus told us it's to our advantage that he would leave. And he said, you have sorrow, right? Because I'm leaving, but it's to your advantage I go. So clearly one of the ways the Spirit helps us is in our sorrow. He comforts us. In Acts chapter nine, uh, it talks about uh, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they had peace. They were being built up. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You know, uh, 
you know who can help your anxiety and your depression and everything else more than anyone? The Holy Spirit can. Now don't hear that as a trite thing. Like if you just pray more, that suddenly everything's gonna get better because that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is go to him with all your junk because he helps and he loves you and he comforts his people. So let's talk more then about what he does. You know, we read the statement of faith earlier. Here's just a handful of things from the statement of faith. He, he convicts us. We talked about that. He, he regenerates us. In other words, he, he makes us new, brand new. He, he unifies us with Christ. He adopts us into God's family. He indwells us. You know, I don't know about you, when I was growing up, though, sometimes, and, and it's just semantics, it's not a huge issue, but sometimes, you know, you talk about becoming a Christian, and I invited Jesus into my heart. But biblically, really, who is it that comes to dwell and live within your heart? The Holy Spirit is that person. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. And when he indwells us, he empowers us, and he illuminates us. He helps us understand God's word. Have you ever read a passage of scripture, and you're like, I have no idea what that means? I don't get it. And maybe you read it a couple years later. I still don't understand what that means. And then finally, someday, just out of, for whatever reason, you're like, that makes sense. I get it. Well, who do you think does that work to help you understand what he wrote? The Holy Spirit. I mean, it's similar to like if you, somebody leaves you a note and you can't read their handwriting, you're like, what does this say? And they can tell you what it says. Why? Because they wrote it. The Holy Spirit illuminates his word. He guides us. He leads us. You see it in Jesus' life all the time. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I mentioned he regenerates us. You might also say that he, he changes us. When Jesus talked about the spirit coming to convict us, to change us, it's sure to me that he had Ezekiel, this passage in mind. Because back in the Old Testament, God promised through the prophet Ezekiel, he said, I'm gonna sprinkle clean water on you you will be clean from all your uncleanness. Now he's not talking about, he's gonna you know, have you, have, help you take a shower. He's saying, I'm gonna cleanse not just the outside, but the inside. I, I'm gonna clean you from all your idols. I'll cleanse you. In fact, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'm gonna put in you. I'm gonna make you a brand new person. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I'll give you a heart of flesh that's, that's moldable and soft and tender and responsive to me. And not only is he gonna give us a new spirit, look, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. See, friends, the Holy Spirit changes us. He does the work of changing us. Jesus says it's such a profound change. It's like you're born again. He was talking to a religious leader named Nick. And, and Nick's, Nick's like, hey, how do I get into the kingdom? And Jesus said, well, truly, I tell you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. He can't be saved. And so Nick's like, well, hold on, I'm an old man. I'm born again? He's like, just to be frank, Jesus, I, don't, I can't crawl back into my mother's womb. How do I, how do I be born again? And then in the verse following that, after Nick says that, Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you, unless one is born of water, born physically, think of a mother's water breaking, 
and of the spirit born spiritually. He can't enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, you need to be born twice, physically and spiritually, and then you inherit the kingdom. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does that. He does that work of changing us. Uh, Paul expresses it this way. He says, Jesus saved us, right? And it wasn't because of anything good we did. It was all because of everything good he did. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, paid the penalty for sin, which he didn't earn in my place. And he satisfied God's wrath, not according to my righteousness, but according to his own and his own mercy. And how did he change us then? By the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does that work of changing us. And he helps and he empowers us. You know, um, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, uh, a little over a couple hundred years ago, he said this, he said, uh, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We're as ships without wind, branches without sap. We're like coals without fire. We're useless without the Spirit. And uh, the thing is, we have power. The same things given to us to help us that Jesus Christ himself had as he walked the earth. You know, there's three things you might jot these down, they're not in your notes, but that Jesus utilized to live the perfect Christian life and to live as an example for us. At first, he had prayer. Let me back up just a minute because Jesus, like the Spirit, is fully God. But Jesus, what he does is he, he is born of Mary. He adds humanity to his deity, full humanity. So he's fully God and he's fully man. That's why sometimes you might hear Jesus referred to as the God-man. But uh, one thing that's unique about Jesus when he lives his life on this earth, in order to be our substitute, he, he, he doesn't live from his deity, he lives from his humanity. Paul tells us in the book of Philippians that he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped and held onto, but rather he humbled himself and made himself in the form of a servant, right? So he lived, it's as if he veiled his deity and never availed himself of it. He never pulled out his God card. He lived fully as a human being, which means that uh, if we wanna know how to live life, then looking at Jesus' example is a great way. If we wanna know what it looks like to be filled by the Holy Spirit, look at Jesus. He was filled perfectly. And the ways that he went about life, he, he leaves us with the same tools he himself had. One is prayer, talking to God, you can pray anytime talking to God. You can ask other people for prayer at any time. And we'd love to pray for you. He also had the word of God. Jesus often is quoting God's word or stealing away to pray and read God's word. But then the third thing he had was the Holy Spirit. When Jesus lived a life and overcame temptation, how did he overcome temptation? By praying to God by quoting God's word and by the power of the Holy Spirit helping him overcome it. How did he do his miracles? Again, it's, it's by the Holy Spirit working through him. How was Jesus so gracious, so generous, so obedient? The Holy Spirit working through him. 
Now, there's one thing though that's unique about Jesus compared to us. One very, well, there's a number of things, but one very unique thing. He never sinned. He never sinned. In other words, with Jesus, there was no static on the line when the Holy Spirit worked through him. How many of you remember telephones that plugged into the wall, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, plugged in. And sometimes if you had a bad connection or you just had a bad wire on that phone or a bad receiver, you'd pick it up and it'd be kind of staticky, wouldn't it? And so maybe you'd unplug it and plug it back in and figure out if that was it or maybe it was somebody on the other end. And somewhere along the line, there was some static where it, it made it not quite as clear sometimes even a little choppy. Well, when we sin and we grieve the Holy Spirit, it's, it's like static on the line to where it, it quenches the Spirit, Scripture tells us, right? And, he, and instead of being able to work freely through us, he, he longs for us to repent so that he would work more fully. Well, Jesus never had to repent, so the Holy Spirit works perfectly through him. So if you wanna see what the perfect Spirit-filled life looks like, look, look at Jesus, And then notice this, that when Jesus accomplished things and did things and lived this life, he didn't just walk around wielding power. He didn't just wield the power of the spirit. He, what did he do? He yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's another thing for us to keep in mind when we think about how does the Holy Spirit help us? Well, again, the Holy Spirit isn't a force, right? He's not an it that we can grasp onto and just kind of, call up like rubbing a bottle and having a genie pop out and do what we want. You don't wield the power of the spirit. You yield to his power and to his leading. And then he works in power through you and I. Do you see the difference? Yielding, not wielding. Uh, Let me just share a couple more things with you from scripture about the spirit and then we'll call it a morning. Jesus said this, when the helper comes, I will whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. What did we see Jesus say in Acts chapter one, verse eight last Sunday? Wait for the Holy Spirit. He'll come on you in power, yield to him. And then what? You will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea and it'll just spread to the ends of the earth as you tell God's story, as you tell your story. But the Holy Spirit helps you do that. Uh, Chapter 14, Jesus says, even the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Like we talked about, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've repented of your sin and then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you and empower you. John 14, verse 26, but the helper, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he'll bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. You know, another way the Spirit helps us and empowers us is bringing his word to mind in different situations. Do you ever have that? Like maybe you're about to make a decision and then suddenly uh, the Holy Spirit brings a passage of scripture to mind and now you've got a choice. (sighs) Do I do what I wanted to do or do I listen to the Spirit and obey? Or sometimes it's after I've already made that decision then he brings that same passage up again (laughs) along with repent (laughs) 
their back. Well, why does that happen? Because he loves you. And he wants you to follow him and to know true joy and true life. And notice he does that. He teaches us. He brings to remembrance everything Jesus says that I've said to you. You know a good way to walk by the spirit more and more is to memorize more and more of what he wrote down. Because then it's more and more coming to your mind. Listen to music that uh, maybe is, is just about scripture. Uh, like we sang some songs this morning. We'll sing another one again. And, and be reminded of these things more and more and, and filled with the spirit in your mind. He'll guide you into all truth. Uh, another thing though, he helps us, he, he gives us power, his power. See, Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, if, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and then he just stops for things like, you know what, you know what I'm talking about? He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. How much power does it take to bring a guy back to life who's been dead for three days? I've never seen a doctor do it. I've never seen that documentary on TV. Only God can do that. The Holy Spirit does that. And if, if his power, that kind of power, dwells in you. Listen, he also, he'll give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He's gonna give you life. He's gonna give you power to, to be his witness, to, to live a life of joy, to, to love people in the way that you're not able to love them on your own. He's gonna empower you for Jesus's mission. And what's our mission? We're sent to do what? love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. And you know what? Sometimes they'll come. Sometimes they'll respond to the invitation. Sometimes they won't. We can pray the Holy Spirit would do that work in their hearts. But friends, Jesus didn't leave us alone. He sent the Spirit to help us and to empower us for his mission. And maybe you might even jot in there, help us in life and empower us for his mission. I'm gonna pray we're gonna sing. There's gonna be people available to pray with you. Or again, you can text that number uh, if you'd like someone to pray with you or for you throughout the week, anytime. And uh, let me pray.